Welcome to Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast library of topics covering regulatory compliance, reporting, disclosures, financial management, and financial transformation technologies. Bramasol is the leader in SAP-based finance solutions and the co-innovator with SAP on developing and deploying purpose-built compliance capabilities. Learn more about Bramasol at www.bramasol.com. Uh, hello, this is Jim Hunt for Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. Uh, today, we're lucky to have Paul Miller with us, who is a renowned expert on SAP Treasury Solutions. Uh, Paul has over 30 years of Treasury experience uh, as a practitioner, a software developer, and professional services provider. He's completed dozens of Treasury strategy and technology projects for SAP, also for the Big Four, and uh, as an independent contractor. So today, with the episode title, When is a Penny Worth a Million Bucks? Uh, welcome, Paul. Could you kind of give us an overview of what we're going to talk about? Sure. What we're going to talk about today, Jim, is when we set up uh, payment integration with our banks, it's, uh, it's important after go live to actually do some live testing with the bank just to make sure that nothing could go wrong um, before we actually go live with uh, you know, full-scale payments. So your penny test is basically small dollar payments, and it's used just to make sure that end-to-end Everything hangs together. We have good integration. We have the right payment details with the customer, et cetera. Okay, perfect. So this is going to test the uh, payment straight-through processing system. Could you kind of elaborate on what the straight-through processing entails and why a treasurer would want to have it? Well, yeah, definitely. So straight-through processing is basically, it's, uh, it's think of it as like a payment nirvana. You know, so all of our, all of our customers in treasury, we make payments for our accounts payable. We make them for treasury to settle debt and our FX trades. There's all kinds of payments that go, you know, inbound and outbound with an entity. Back in the day, we used to do everything, you know, either via, well, way back in the day in the stone ages, we'd use fax machines. Then we went to email. Now we go online with, um, with our banks and we can uh, enter things manually, but then we'd have to book them manually back on our ERP system. So what straight through processing does is basically give you um, entry for your payments. You enter them once and they go all the way through to the bank and to your, to your vendor or your treasury counterparty. Uh, and so in a nutshell, basically you enter into your ERP, you get all the accounting done up front. Um, then the payment gets set up with all the payment details and then they go on a file to the bank and then the bank processes your payments on your behalf, moves the money to your customer, and then it clears and settles in your bank account the next day. And then we uh, reconcile that through our electronic bank statement the next morning. So basically we enter once and then everything gets processed all the way through to the end to the bank. Thank you. So what does it take uh, to enable straight through processing with banks? Well, it's, it can be a quite a big project. It could be, you know, as, as quickly as a month or it could be three months. But basically, you have to have the services enabled at the bank. You have to define your scope, of course. Are we doing uh, local payments? Are we doing international payments? Are we doing 
low value type bulk payments like ACH or SEPA? Are we doing uh, high value payments like wire transfer? And then which currencies do we operate in that sort of thing? So you would define your scope, turn on the services with the bank, and then you would have to enable uh, in your ERP, um, basically the, the creation of the, of the records, uh, first for the accounting, and then secondly, uh, to, to have all the payment instructions created and, and put on a file. And the way it works is we, we actually generate a file within our bank software, um, which in our case would be our ERP. I'm talking about SAP in particular. Right. And then create, so in, in SAP, we have a, a, multi, a myriad of formats that we would, that we would set up uh, depending on what the bank accepts and what our scope is. But typically, um, everyone's moving toward an ISO XML format. Don't worry too much about the technology. If you're going to, if you're doing STP, you, you, you'll, you'll know what you need or your consultant will help you find that. But we use the ISO XML, and then that file um, holds all the data, and we use a, a, a secure connection to move that file to the bank, and then the bank does its, its processing from there. So I would guess that uh, some of the factors that might make a project more or less complex would be whether or not you have multiple banks, multiple currencies, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, you're spot on because all of it, whatever you do in the system based on your scope, you have to build it uh, completely from beginning to end, but you also have to test it in all the different scenarios. So the important thing is that is that you also have the security and controls in place at every step as well. So when you process a payment in your ERP, there's a lot of front-end work that's already there that you can leverage. For instance, you have uh, your vendors would be set up separately from your payable where the payment instructions are controlled within the vendor. The invoices themselves are controlled uh, with uh, POs and goods, goods receipts and invoices. And, and then multiple uh, people have to uh, have to approve the, the uh the PO and the invoice and then the payment itself. So it's well controlled on the front end. And then that file that gets generated and sent to the bank, there's also lots of controls in there as well. Um, not only uh, in terms of processing the payment, but also as the data passes through the channel to the bank. So you're gonna be sending a file over a secure connection with your bank. The, fi the file's normally encrypted. There's numerous ways to do the encryption. And then when the bank receives the file, then they process it on their system as well. So there's, there's quite a bit involved just to get the scope defined, to get all the data uh, scenarios defined as well. So you're right. The more different types of payments you do, uh, payment methods, and the more currencies you use, there's more setup required and more data required to, to be created as well to pass the data through. Okay. I was going to ask you about uh, fraud prevention and making sure that the payments go where they're supposed to. And I think you touched a little bit on that with the separation of responsibilities and so on. But can you elaborate a little bit more about fraud and, and how to prevent it? Probably um, in well, every company probably has an experience with fraud that probably won't all tell you. The banks certainly don't. They like to keep that a secret. But it's it's out there. It's common. And Typically, it's it, it, more often than not, it's an inside job. Some of the more recent frauds have to do with phishing, and uh, the spammers are out there trying to take over our email. So sometimes it is process-related. Sometimes it's a bad apple internally, 
And the best way to prevent fraud is again to put the put the controls in place up front so that we have you know multiple points where we have segregation of duties so that no one person has too much control to move a payment. And then secondly, we also have to have um, more automation. Our straight through processing also helps alleviate some of the fraud. For instance, it's hard to set up a spamming, um, a phishing type of a fraud where someone sends an email or they hack into the email of the assistant treasurer and then use that account to request an analyst to move money. Um, if that's not part of our process, then we're not susceptible to that type of fraud. So if we keep it all system-based and we have it locked off from the outside world, that's one way. And as you mentioned, the encryption, the secure files, the secure networks, those are all ways that we mitigate our risk when it comes to uh, payments going the wrong way. Okay, so uh, what could go wrong if a payment fails or if it was misdirected? Well, if we send a payment, so this is more um, mistakes as opposed to frauds themselves. If someone steals our money, it's gone, and they'll, and, they'll, and they'll skip it through multiple banks. If we don't catch it fast enough, it's usually long gone. If an account's closed, you really can't retrieve the money. So, so the professional fraudsters, that's what they'll do. They'll wire the money offshore, move it to another account, physically withdraw it, and close it. There's not much you can do other than to prevent that up front. But let's say we have a, a payment instruction that's incorrect, and then it goes to the bank, and uh, they charge us, but then the item, basically what happens is the item would be rejected at the bank. Let's say we sent the wrong uh, account number for our vendor, and that was a mistake that happens, you know, quite often. That money will, would go out, and it would just be rejected by the bank and come back in and be sent back to our uh, to our account. But it's so it doesn't sound like it's a major difficulty. I mean, we're going to get our money back. But what happens is, it takes. It takes our analysts, you know, multiple analysts, you know, multiple hours to make the corrections. They have to do reversals and reprocessing. And it's just the type of work that isn't very glorious. It takes time and it kind of holds us down. So if we have, a, you know, even a 1% error rate on the back end, it just takes a lot of time to reprocess. So we want to kind of avoid things going wrong. So that's one of the things that can go wrong. We can have the bat, uh, uh, incorrect instruction. Maybe our customer um, um, had a, had an issue with their account and it was closed, that sort of thing. Rejections happen for that reason. Sometimes there's a technical error between the banks or with the payment network. Those are rare, but those are the type of things that could happen. So, so that kind of brings us back to the importance of the robustness of the straight-through processing end-to-end payment channel. So yeah. back, to, back to the penny test. Is that something... Um, that you would do one time to confirm setting up the system or do you come back and do the penny test for small payments multiple times? Um, how does it fit into the overall picture? Penny testing is, it's kind of like having a belt with suspenders, right? So your suspenders is, is all the testing you do on your normal project. You have your scenarios well-defined, you test every single scenario, you do it in the test system, you make sure internally that all your scenarios pass. It's a well-documented process. When you're ready, then you can move it into production. Um, um, but before you move it into production, I guess I skipped the step. Not only do our, we do our testing internally within our system, 
We also test with the bank. So from our test system to their test system, just to ensure that when we send a file, it has the right format, it has the right types of instructions, the right information's in the right place so that they're able to process correctly. And so that's, that's purely a technical test. What it doesn't do is prevent some of the real world examples, for instance, where you have the wrong vendor instructions set up or there's things that the bank needs to do at, at runtime to, um, to make sure that the payment goes. So you do all of your suspender testing right up front and you think you're good to go. And, you know, I would say more than half the three quarters of, of projects might run with only that type of testing. The penny testing is the, the extra credit. That's where you put the belt on on top of your suspenders because what could happen is you want to make sure that that bank, um, if you're sending a single payment file and maybe you're combining some uh, local payments with some uh, foreign payments with some urgent payments in the same file, the bank has to split those payments up, all three, and route them different ways. And the only way to test if the bank can get it right on their back end is to do it in real time in a live system. You can't do live testing before go live, obviously. Uh, you can do the best you can within a test system, but nothing beats doing it in the productive system. Some of the banks recommend that you do that, others don't, but I would, I would highly recommend all my clients to ask their bank to allow them to do the penny test in, in all these cases, because not only does it test the channel, the pipe between us and the bank, and that everything works correctly, that we have the encryption keys set up properly, that the, that the file format and layouts are correct one last time. It also makes sure that the end-to-end -end processing works so that the bank can route the payments correctly. And then it also has the added benefit of going out to the receiving bank and doing a double check on those vendor payment instructions as well. So when you make that million dollar payment next week, we know it'll work because we made the penny test this week. Perfect wrap up. So you said that um, approximately 75% of the uh, projects you've worked on companies do penny testing. Why does the 25% not do penny testing? I, I think we've evolved over time. I think up front it wasn't really that critical. Some of our scope seemed smaller. Um, it was less complex in, in terms of how we did our work. I think the one thing with the single payment file and the ISO XML makes it more important that we do it. Because there's more with today's systems and straight through processing, that end-to-end -end channel, once you've set it up, it, it better be working well because you don't have many uh, stop points along the way to look at it and make sure it's working well. There's, there's a lot more complexity involved. And if you look at, if you look at our banks, we're, 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 we've boiled down to, you know, four or five large multinational cash management banks where in the past it may have been a dozen or more. And so the dozen connection points are still there, but they're behind the scenes. Now they're part of the larger bank. You know, so like Bank of America has absorbed, you know, four or five different legacy banks, same with Chase. And so when you send the file to them to one location, they still route through a lot of those old systems. So it's, it's, more, it's more of a check for us to make sure that our, our bank counterparties, you know, have their, have their act together on their side. Got it. It's kind of like you want to make sure that the, there are no leaks in the hose before you turn on full water pressure. 
Yeah, no, it's real money we're moving. Sometimes you can't get it back once you move it, so you have to be very careful. Good point. This has been a great session. Is there any uh, wrap-up you'd like to provide or advice to companies that are looking at uh, instituting end-to-end payment? Um, just be very thorough. You know, try and make sure you have all your scenarios documented, and just you know, take your time. Don't don't be surprised if it takes you you know three months to get something in that you thought you could do in a month or two. It's well worth the time. Very good wrap up, uh, Paul. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been very informative for our listeners. I appreciate it, Jim. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. We hope that you found it helpful. To ensure that you never miss a future episode, you can subscribe to Bramasol at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Bramasol and detail on our solutions for compliance optimization and financial transformation, please visit www.bramasol.com or email us at info at bramasol.com.